You're listening to Fight in Progress. With your hosts and stress coaches, founder of Under the Shield, Susan Simmons, and TomTheBomb.com. Fight in Progress grapples with the internal and external struggles in the daily lives of our men and women in law enforcement, the armed forces, and first responders. Tackling the tough topics and supporting those who support us. We hear you, and we're here for you. Welcome to Under the Shield Presents Fight in Progress. I got it right that time. And today we have a co-host that's filling in for her husband. So we have Mrs. TomTheBomb.com. He may lose his job after today. Maybe we need to make this a woman's show. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> that might make it a lot more fun. I don't know. We'll see. Um, but anyway, Tracy, we have a great guest with us today that we're excited to have because we've got some exciting news for Under the Shield as we get toward the end of this podcast. Very exciting. And Ed, we are just excited and honored to have you here on our 62nd episode, we think. Um, again, I've been accused of having dementia. There's probably some truth to that. And Tom would be excited to be here to say, oh, it's as, it's as many episodes as Susan has years, <laughs> at least till next month. There you go. That's why we're going to call it the golden episode. Yep. There you go. That's it. <laughs> so Ed, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm and, pleased uh, to be here. We just <clears throat> want you to fill us in on exactly what you do, what your company does, because this is some really exciting stuff for us here at Under the Shield. And like I said, we've got some big news to announce here. Well, do we get like a drum roll? Or, <laughs> or like, do, 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 do. <laughs> We should have an audience here applauding is what we should have. Well, let me start by giving you a little history okay. of, of how we came to be. Sure. Um, back in the 1980s, uh, cities and towns, municipalities were having difficulties getting insurance. Uh, there was kind of a... Um, they have a lot of different kinds of uh, exposures and insurance mm -hmm. companies were, give, were having either high rates or not being able to insure cities and towns. So the cities and towns went to the League of Arizona um, cities and towns and asked for some kind of an alternative or what can we do about this? And so the decision was made to start an insurance pool for municipalities. And during the 80s, this was happening in kind of across the country. I believe 30, about 35 states started to do this during that time. The league then contacted Southwest Risk, who I work for, mm -hmm. and asked us if we could possibly start this pool. So we created this pool in 1987. And we started off by providing property and casualty. And by property and casualty, I mean we insured their buildings and their autos and liability. And the liability can be um, professional or just general liability. General liability is when somebody gets injured, somebody slips and falls, they break a leg, something like that. Mm. And the professional liability is um, when it's for personal injury. And that would be like, for example, wrongful arrest or excessive force or employment types of, of um, claims. Okay. So we started that off in 1987. And um, how after, many cities and towns did you initially have? Um, one. <laughs> big corporation here. Okay. That's all yeah. it takes. You got to start with one. Well, that's right. well, there's kind of a cute story with that. Um, we were going to open our doors up in, uh, in January, 1987. And then uh, Camp Verde incorporated at the very end of uh, uh, 1986 in December. Mm -hmm. So they actually wrote Camp Verde a policy, even though I don't know how we would have handled it because <laughs> they were you there. Were in there yet. was nobody else there. 
So in the beginning, the emphasis was on going out to the cities and towns and, and informing them of, of who we are and what we had to offer. Um, I came on board in 2001. And so at that time, we had about 55 members in the property casualty pool. And when uh, you say 55 members, <clears throat> that's cities or towns? Cities or towns. Okay. And for reference, there's 91 cities and towns in the state. Okay. We had just started workers' comp. Workers' comp was started about 10 years later based on the success of the property and casualty. Mm -hmm. And we only had a handful of people there in workers' comp. Fast forward to today, we have 76 of the cities and towns, and they're both for workers' comp and for property and casualty. Okay. So when you say workers' comp, oh. employee gets injured on the job, on the job, they can apply for workman's comp, whether it's a now, whether it's a physical injury or a mental wellness issue like PTSD. That's correct. Okay. <clears throat> Great. So, yeah, so that's where we, st that's where we stand today. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> and then one of the things that, though, that I think that makes uh, the pool unique compared to other forms of insurance is um, we are nonprofit. So we... Part of my job is to do the underwriting and to calculate, identify the exposures, calculate the premiums. And we can, if we have excess premium, which we sometimes do. Uh, what does that mean? Well, that would mean that we collected more premium than we needed to pay for the claims. Okay. So basically, <clears throat> if they have, and mainly because I'm not a mathematician, if they had $1,000 in claims but paid $2,000 in insurance, then there's an extra $1,000 in premium. In premium, exactly. Okay. So the way we function is we do our underwriting basically on what we expect the claims to be. But then we do a lot of loss control programs, which we hope will actually help the members do better than what we expect. And when that happens, then there's extra money available. Now, some of that money goes to programs, which can, helps the members to become better um, at a risk. Now I can see <clears throat> cops and firefighters' brains out there working. So, <laughs> so what if um, one of the members pays two thousand dollars in premium, but they have ten thousand dollars in claims? Then what happens? Well, when we do the underwriting, we actually calculate the premium based on what we would expect for average claims. Mm -hmm. So a member that has better than average claims would probably get discounted off of that rate. And a member who has worse than average claims would be debited. The premium would increase. So if your base premium was $1,000, but you had 10000 in claims, we would probably raise that premium from 1000 to 1250 or 1500 The next year? The next year. Okay. Yeah. So we wouldn't try to recoup it? No, we wouldn't recoup. Okay. No, but going forward. Interesting. Okay. The life of insurance. Yes. Yeah. You have to have a doctorate and some other degrees to understand it <laughs> and that's okay because that's what we have people like ed for that's right <laughs> um so in your time with them have you seen a lot of resistance from cities and towns to even get involved in this or they pretty much jump on the bandwagon right off pretty much jump on the bandwagon um that's one of the again one of the really nice things about working with um with a pool, mm -hmm. you know, because I've been there 20 years. I know the members quite well, sure. and I visit them all the time. And they have a concept of this being their, this is really their company. You know, this uh, uh, pool is run by a board of directors that they elect. So okay. when I go to the board with a coverage 
enhancement or something, mm-hmm. the board is going to understand the need for it because it's going to benefit them too. So it's it's very cohesive, uh, kind of a tight knit group. And on your board, mm-hmm. I know you have one chief of police here. Is there a fire chief on there as well? Yes, we have a fire chief as well, um, which has been really helpful to us because of all the issues that we have with uh, cancer presumptive and all types of yes. uh, issues that we have, PTSD. But you don't have a board member for each city in town? No, there's nine board members. Okay. And what we do is uh, every year we send out a massive email blast to everybody who works for the all the cities and towns, as well as their council members, ask if you, you want to be on the board. Because the only requirement to be on the board is that you either be a council member or be employed by one of our members. Okay. And then anybody who wants to can uh, submit a like little resume, mm-hmm. and then we send those out, and then the board, all the cities and towns vote for the board members. So give us some <clears throat> examples of claims you'd have to pay out, and, and what do <clears throat> they look like? Because I hear some pretty horrific numbers occasionally on an excessive use of force claim, even if it's in policy, but there's an injury, there's usually still going to be a claim, I assume. Yes. Um, in my previous life, I handled claims. I'm on the underwriting side now, and I, I handled a lot of uh, police liability claims mm-hmm. with the pool I used to work with before. And yes, um, what's interesting about claims is that anybody can make a claim for any reason. Absolutely. I can sue um, you for wearing that sweater. That's today. right. Yep. It does, it doesn't, now, I won't sue successfully, but I can. <laughs> but you can. That's exactly right. <laughs> and the, um, the the kind of the problem that presents for us is, you know, for us, money in is money out. You right. know, um, if we have to spend $500,000 defending a claim, even if we win, we still spent $500,000. Absolutely. You know? So to the extent possible, you like to avoid the claims you know, in the first place. Sure. But there's also there's liability claims and there's also like gross negligence, gross negligence, and it depends on on the type of a claim. Um, for example, we had a claim where a um, parent called the police to because they had their teenage son was kind of out of control. Teenagers don't ever get out of control. Ed, what is wrong with you? <laughs> I guess just this one. <laughs> yeah, okay. there is an exception. <laughs> There's, to every, an exception. There's an exception to every rule. That's true. <laughs> and I, and I remember this claim vividly because it was so tragic. Um, the police, the parents thought they were going to teach the kid a lesson by having the police come and and you know, which was let them do their job. Let them, yeah. Our police officer arrived and the kid made some kind of motion or movement, and our police officer shot him and oh, killed wow. and killed him. Oh wow! And in that situation, we also found, you know, what I think everybody has to understand, if you're involved in a lawsuit, mm-hmm. your life is going to be investigated like you just aren't going to believe. Absolutely. Um, and when the investigation went through on this one, we discovered this particular officer had had some previous mental kinds of issues mm-hmm. and maybe shouldn't have been, you know, responding to that particular claim. Right. That makes it virtually impossible for us to defend. Absolutely. Um you know, so that that type of thing happens. Sure. Um, there's also, you know, I guess they call it like a suicide by cop. Right. Uh, you know, those are really kind of tricky because, uh, you know, even though the officer might be egged on and, and you know, and even the fashut could still be good. Sure. In policy. Um, Absolutely. There still are facts that can, uh, that can, you know, can water that down. Right. So, um and what do these claims look like a lot of times, dollar-wise? 
Um, the last one, that one that we're trying to settle right now, which was uh, a death claim, is looking at about $3 million. Okay. And an excessive use of force claim could run? A million, two million. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, I think they'd be high numbers. Yeah. You know, you, you hear these things, but you don't always know actually what happened behind. And, and one of my frustrations that I'm coming up with these days is I'm really appalled at some of the administrative decisions made in law enforcement agencies. Now, the ones I'm talking about, Ed, we've already talked about um, in our previous meetings, and there are groups that are self-insured. And I think if their risk managers really understood what was happening, there'd be an issue because they're disciplining officers. Um, I'm thinking of one in particular in Arizona where three deputies have been terminated and it's been, gosh, over two years since the event, put them back to work. And now are, and it was a shooting thing, the, nobody got hurt. And now they're terminating the off the off the deputies for shooting, returning fire on someone shooting at them. And I I'm sitting back going, you know what? If the people involved <laughs> knew deputies had been terminated for this, I don't think you could write a check big enough. Because how could you defend it? That's right. When you're terminating people for actions they took in an event, injured or not. There's still some mental injury in, in can be claimed in having deputies firing at you. You can't defend this stuff. That's right. And I go, when these chiefs and sheriffs start disciplining people where you have no victim, get the checkbook out, boys and girls. And I don't think risk managers know in these self-insured places, this stuff's going on. That's and that's pretty scary to me. It, it's just a matter of time. Well, the way this whole culture is changing now, yes. I mean, I even wonder how much is that affecting claims going up and, you know, yeah, all the happening. defund and the police are always wrong. Or have you seen a huge increase in the last two years of claims that may not have come about prior to that? Well, you know, one of the problems right now, um, everybody's concerned about police liability. Right. Um, our reinsurers are, are concerned about it. And it's because of some of the larger settlements and a lot of that yep. has come out. And and right now, honestly, it's it's a it's a tough business. Yes. I mean, there are a lot of communities that are losing police officers. Um, yes. That are just deciding that they're not going to do this anymore. Um, we have been, <laughs> we have actually bucked the trend a little bit in our in our program, uh -huh. uh, and I think because we have programs that um, our members can get certification and they can get training and they can get their policies and procedures updated, you know, so um, you know police liability claims. Is just used to account for about 60% probably of the claims that we would handle on a right. yearly basis. That's actually gone down a little bit uh, recently. But still, uh, you know, you're still looking. And that actually uh, kind of holds true for workers' comp as well. Um, for, for the I have to commend you because you're talking about that. I um, read up a little bit that I saw you offered like a use of force training. Because there's this like an insurance company. You think you're like, what are they doing to help people? <laughs> And I, I saw that one, and I saw another one where you did with some attorneys um, how to uh, do your job as a police officer and still um, work with the First Amendment rights. So I saw some of those programs. you tell us a little bit about those? Yes. Or? Well, yes, because part of my job is, uh, is loss control. 
And loss control is fairly easy in some of the departments. You know, it's easy to train people in parks and rec and swimming pools and uh, safe driving. Sure. But we were always a little bit, what do you do about police officers? We're not qualified to train or do, you know, talk about any of that type of a thing. So one of the first things we did, Arizona has an organization called ACOP. Mm -hmm. And ACOP um, does training. And they were interested in developing a program where they could actually get our get departments accredited and also work with updating uh, policies, procedures, manuals. Because a lot of our towns are very small. And sure. they, don't, they don't have the budgets to get the training from the big, you know, corporations. Problem was, it was, a, it was strictly a um, volunteer group. Mm -hmm. So people could just kind of, you know, hit and miss. Well, one of the, uh, the chief at the time who was, <coughs> Chief uh, DeVrie, who was from Kingman, mm -hmm. Um, was very active in the ACOP program. Kingman is one of our members. And for those listening, ACOP is the Arizona Association of Chiefs of Police. Correct. And so, and we happened to have a board member from Kingman at the time. And we got talking about it. And, you know, they had this vision that they just couldn't seem to quite, you know, complete. So the, the risk pool decided that perhaps some of our loss control efforts for police could be to fund their full-time position. So we do that. Nice. And so they were able to hire somebody. They've hired a terrific guy who uh, oversees the program. And in exchange, our AMRP members get a discounted rate for the accreditation and for the, um, for the training. And we've gotten, I think, 16, maybe 20 of our members now are going through the process. It's very rigorous. Yeah, and the, the <clears throat> accreditation you're talking about is Kalia? Yeah. Is it Kalia? Yeah. So that is a huge... Uh, big, a huge deal. When, sure. I, when I had a claim come in for a police uh, uh, claim, first thing I asked is to see their policies and procedures. Mm -hmm. And if I found out, which was often the case, that those procedures were 15 or 20 years old, <laughs> I would just hang my, I'd hang my head, you know? <laughs> and if I found out they were current, I did a happy dance, you sure. know, because right out of the gate, that's going to that's gonna be a problem. So for us to be able to get our members... Um, up to speed on, mm -hmm. on policies and procedures has been has been huge, uh, and, and I assume Kalia requires that. Yeah. And the, the the way they'll do this, they'll they'll get their they'll get the policies procedures up to date, and then every year they'll do like review a quarter of them, so that they're constantly staying you know um, sure staying up to date. So that's one of the programs that we do. Mm -hmm. We also have contracted with a lawyer who specializes in police liability claims, and. Where this is helpful is if a city or a town has an instance, he can come in and help advise them. Mm -hmm. um, for example, we had um, a police shooting in, in a town that hadn't seen a police shooting in 20 years or sure. something, and everybody was kind of unsure what to do. So he went down and he helped them you know, address the press, uh, help, you know, kind of go through what, what kind of investigation has to be done, who needs to do it, and you know, guides them through you know, that process. Sure. But he also does um, training seminars for us that police officers can get continuing education for. Terrific. And we do, um, depending on the topics that he that he you know, this learns through ACOP, whatever, uh, mm -hmm. we do a couple of seminar trainings um, um, every every year. And that we've opened up uh, beyond the AMRP members. So we allow the county sheriffs into that, or we allow Phoenix, people who are not part of the pool. Because it, as far as we're concerned, when it comes to police liability, we can all work. To, we all have to work together. Absolutely. Um, 
you know, for example, you know, you might have a SWAT situation where I might have two or three of our members and somebody from the county and somebody from a town that we don't insure all involved, yes. right? So the more everybody gets educated, the more it benefits exactly. all of us. Yeah, sure. they look like really good programs. And y'all have to be really concerned about the numbers dropping because, you know, common sense tells you less police officers working means the ones that are working are having to work longer hours. There was a post this morning put out by the Phoenix Police Sergeants and Lieutenants Association. I don't know if you saw this, but it said they had, Phoenix PD had 30 officers leave the department in January. They had 40 officers leave in December for a net loss of 200 officers in 2021, and they are projecting only 39 new recruits for all of 2022. So they're not even keeping up with attrition. So, and, and as the years, and it'll take a long time to recover. We've seen this, I know in Alabama, years ago, they had a freeze on hiring troopers. And I'm telling you, 10, 15 years out, they still had not recovered from having frozen it for however many years. You don't just go out, and nowadays, especially in today's environment, people don't want to do this job. That's right. And that just puts more stress and pressure on the people who, who remain. And that creates a problem for us in a different category. Mm -hmm. That's Phoenix. We have a lot of small towns. Uh, we call them like in the, they used to be like mining towns. And they have a hard time finding anybody. Sure. And so what ends up happening with those towns, even in good times, uh, somebody from Phoenix or whatever um, gets a job there, gets mm -hmm. them on the job training. But the, as soon as they get a chance to get into Phoenix or Scottsdale, they leave. It's a training center. It's a training center. So these small towns are constantly trying to find people and they're trying to, you know, now, one of our towns just started a police department. Yes. And uh, they hired, I think, police like 60 police officers. Yes. And that's great. But guess what? Those 60 police officers didn't come into the state new. They came from other departments. I know um, that. Yeah. I know. I know. <laughs> know exactly. I, say, I might know a couple, but I'm not naming names. And I, and I think we can, we can brag on this agency. It's called Queen Creek. It's, Queen it's, Creek. Uh, it, and Boy, I've never seen more police officers. They've got a lot home. of good officers, I'll tell you, though. Yeah, right? wanting to go to Queen, Queen Creek to work. You know, it's it's the other way now. Everybody's getting mad. The big ones are getting mad at, at that department for stealing their people. Yes. And so it's not so much coming back the other way. Well, what's interesting to me about Queen Creek, when I when I came here in 2001, uh, they told me, you're going to love Queen Creek because it's there's like 3,000 people living there, and it's <laughs> yeah, mostly, <that> month. <laughs> it's, it's just horse country, and the biggest department they have is Parks and Rec, and that's all you have to deal with, you know? Right. And so, and that's how it was. You know, today, they have like 70,000 people, and they've, they've grown, but because it's so relatively current, they've done, you know, they've been able to do things really well and sure. correctly, and I mean, it's just, it's, it's interesting. It's rare to, to be ahead of the game. Yeah. If, ahead if of you the can game. be in law yes. enforcement. And so by the time they started to do this, we already had programs in place to help them with, you know, so it was, I think that makes a difference. You sure, know? sure. So it's a well-run community. And I think that's what makes us so exciting about what's going on now with our, I don't think we can call it a partnership. I think really we have, we'll be entering a contract with your program in the pool. And it was so interesting because Sherry, who couldn't be with us today, um, you know, and I don't believe in coincidences. And it's so funny because she happened to reach out on our information line and said she'd been trying to reach somebody for a while. Nobody returned her calls and I couldn't find her messages. 
that was what was kind of interesting. But she happened to catch me one day in the office and I wasn't in session, which is very rare. And I have to tell you, it made me laugh because she told me who she was. And then when she said, as soon as I heard Arizona municipal risk retention, my first thought was she's selling something. And my first thought was to go not interested and hang up and thank the good Lord I didn't. (laughs) And what cracked me up was in 30 years of doing this, I've never had anybody reach out and say, we want help for our police and fire anonymously. Everybody else wants documentation, wants the license side of this thing for reporting. And then my next thought was, some cop is yanking my chain. (laughs) They've had this woman call me (laughs) to stir this up. And man, it hadn't even been a week, or maybe two weeks since we met with y'all. And, you know, it was like a meeting of the minds I've never had before. Because what's funny to me is chiefs and sheriffs think liability, but they don't make the connection of how what we do at Under the Shield can really lower their liability. So the people, I don't know why I didn't think of this 30 years ago, the people paying out the liability claims, of course, would be interested in doing this. Most definitely. I mean, it is this breath of fresh air. It's somebody that gets it. Yes. And knows how important this is. I can kind of fill this in a little bit. First of all, uh, Sherry and I work very closely together. Mm -hmm. And part of what we do, probably the majority of what we do is brainstorm all the time. We're constantly trying to figure out what can we do for our members? How can we make the pool better? What kind of programs? What's the needs? We we go to the um, ACMA conferences. That's the Arizona City and um, County Managers Association. We go to the GFOAZ, which is uh, cities and counties financial departments. Uh, we go to the league conference. You know, we have booths. Um, and when we go to these booths, we're sitting in the lobby, and you know, and we just we just brainstorm and get ourselves into all kinds of things. You know, <laughs> some people would say trouble. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I've met both of y'all. This <laughs> is going to be fun. <laughs> so Sherry has been working diligently for, I'm guessing, four years now to try to come up with some kind of solution to this. And what started it was the PTSD. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Arizona, for the workers' comp, um, if uh, someone has an officer uh, or somebody in you know, public safety has a has PTSD, the city or the town has to provide up to 36 um, treatments uh, before this even comes into a, the workers' comp realm. Sure. And... When that first came out, there was very specific requirements of what those therapists had to have. And what we discovered was happening was our members didn't really understand that part of it. Mm-hmm. And they were trying to send these people to the EAP programs. And those people may not necessarily have had the right credentials. And therefore, all that treatment didn't count. Wow. So we tried to find a person or people who could perhaps be available to our members sure. um, for kind of a group rate, you know, mm-hmm. and we found one person and that didn't actually work out. Um, I think for personal reasons, she had to stop doing it. We found another person and we started working with her and then she quit working because she had her own PTSD from listening to all these people. <laughs> and and, and um. let me say, let, let me interject here because I can't sit here with Susan my mouth shut. Susan has stories. Oh my gosh. <laughs> 
you know, the licensed world, I've said it a million times on our podcast. They are good people mm. with good intentions. But I can remember even when I went to graduate school 100 years ago, and I remember some of my psychologist mm. professors going, you'll never make under the shield fly. It'll never happen. Cops and firefighters are the same as everybody else. When you start trying to make them like somebody else, then then you're 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 missing the boat, Susan. They put their pants on the same way as everybody else. And so as I got through the master's program, I started realizing just how disconnected the license world can be from this industry. You can't put cops and firefighters and paramedics and EMTs in the box that we learn in graduate programs and mental health programs. They are outside of the box. So you, if you want to provide services, you better get outside that box too. And that's what possessed me in the beginning of this 30 years ago to do a full SWAT school. I did hostage negotiation trainings. I did narcotics training. I got in any training, any organization would let me in to have exposure to those people. And when you've got people that don't understand what these people see and hear and how it becomes their norm for them, and you're trying to help them, and you don't understand, it's like speaking two different languages, and it can lead to frustration. We saw this in New York after 9-11. There were some mental health people who came to help with great intentions, but wound up developing PTSD from all the things they heard and saw and smelled. And again, it's not about being bad people. It's about not being prepared. You know, put me in an ER with people bleeding and brains coming out and vomiting and all, and I'm out, I'm running, I'm headed the other direction. I'm not cut out to do that kind of work. There's a reason I'm not a nurse or a doctor. And so I think that is one of the biggest things we have tried so hard to get people to understand. There is definitely a place at the table for the licensed world. And we vet our licensed uh, psychologists and counselors that we refer our people to. We make sure they have that understanding. And we're not causing some type of secondary trauma right? because they don't. Well, there was one situation where an officer um, said, counselor, that she broke down and started crying. Yeah. So then he goes into his protective mode yes. to comfort her. And then, of course, he shuts down and doesn't yes. share what he's supposed to be there sharing. Yes. And, and it happens. That's, yeah, it does. And that's that's a big part of why this is so exciting what we're doing with y'all, because it isn't about eliminating the licensed world. There's a place. But there hasn't been the missing component that we have felt like under the shield was. And that's what's so exciting here is, is y'all get it. We didn't even have to to draw diagrams and and all this stuff. I mean, Sherry and Ed walk in and they're like, yeah. That's what we're looking for. Exactly. Like you can't build a house with one tool. So here we've got the toolbox and they have to realize they're all different resources, but we have to work together. Yes. Well, you know, I think what the difference is that, and for Sherry and I, you know, it was kind of fun because Sherry called me up and she says, do you have time tomorrow to go down and meet with Susan with me? And I said, yeah, sure. And I had no idea really what we were going to get into. I don't know who Susan is, but we'll go. Sure. (laughs) But because of our... way we approach things, there's reactive and proactive, Yes, you know, uh, uh, types of things. And uh, 
when we start at the, you know, the pool, for the most part, insurance companies, you know, claims come in and they handle them, and that's kind of what you have to do. Well, our pool, to their credit, early on, they said, you know, why, why sit back and wait for claims to come in and pay claims? Why not take some of our resources and be proactive and try to train? So we start, started off on a, a program. We call it the um, PAL program, okay. Pers- Personnel Assistance Lifeline. So what we do is we have our we have attorneys that specialize in employment claims. Mm-hmm. So instead of making an employment decision and then possibly getting sued, before you take that action, you can call us. We we set, set you up with the attorney for free consultation. Nice. This is our situation. This is what we plan to do. You know, and, and the attorney might say that sounds you know, legitimate or no, or maybe you need more documentation. But or hell, or, no. or <laughs> yeah. You know, and then that was our first program. And then we also realized that um, sometimes you don't have a, you have EEOC or ACRD complaint comes in. Sure. And out of the blue. So we expanded the program. So our attorneys would answer that and take care of that for them for free. So they didn't, you know, and so that also got us up to speed in case there was a claim. And then we started implementing a program like that for land use issues. And we saw, so we started, started going down this path of trying to be proactive, not always reactive. What a concept. Mm-hmm. Some common sense <laughs> in the building. You feel like, like mind blown. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it really <That> happens. <laughs> you know, we were about to give up on all that stuff because, again, everything seems to be in the first responder world reactive. Again, peer support, great program. I, I've run a team in Alabama now for almost three decades. And again, it is. It's wait till the officers get into a shooting or a critical incident or firefighters have a dead baby or whatever, and then we'll come in and help you with it. And then after moving to Arizona and realizing that so much of the peer support was in-house, which can have its pros and cons to it, um, that the reality of what we were really doing at Under the Shield was education, and that's why it's called stress coaching, And we're coming at it from, let's get you healthy. Let's show you how not to have issues. And we talk about mental wellness and our garbage can analogy, the Simmons theory of the psychological garbage can. If you can teach first responders what the garbage can looks like, educate their families who are the first line of defense to see the early warning signs, educate supervisors who are the second line of defense because they're the ones who notice the change in an officer or firefighter at work. We can get on things early. And if we can get them in the academy level, we're teaching them before they even have the exposure to stuff, what it looks like, what you can do about it. And here are some things you can do because sleep deprivation is key to all of it. I guarantee you, if you really looked and analyzed excessive use of force claims. Um, If you, I am convinced 100% that the situation in Dallas where the woman, the female officer went into the wrong apartment, she was a floor above or below or whatever, it would be really interesting to know how much she had worked, how much sleep had she had, um, because I'll guarantee you there was some sleep deprivation. Same thing with the female officer wherever that was, Midwest, that she drew her a gun but thought she was drawing her taser. I would love to know how much sleep, how much time off, and how much, not just because they can have time off and still not sleep. But that's what we do. We, we train them and teach them how to get good, healthy REM sleep. 
And I don't mean popping a pill from the doctor. Because, for example, I've had one not too long ago that a psychiatrist had him on two forms of Ambien, gabapentin for the the restless leg syndrome that was created by all the other sleep meds, uh, Klonopin, Trazodone, one that he couldn't remember the name of, and Unisom over the counter. How was he functioning? Well, and he was on it for three years and still wasn't sleeping. And I sent him to a treatment center we use. They got him off all of it. And I'm still in touch with him. And he's sleeping great. He didn't know life could be this good. He didn't know he could, he didn't know how miserable he was till he started feeling better. And those are the things that we can do that in turn will help lower the issues that create pretty expensive well, and again especially now in this culture with these shortages yes they're having to pick up extra shifts and and work more and it's just gonna and they're not eating healthy yeah you know we laugh out here about if you work midnights the only place you've got is a place that ends in tino and circle k and uh qt and that's not going to help the gut which is going to drop your mood and so, you know, like I said, you and Sherry walking in, I, I laughed and told her, I said, you know, we're sisters from another mister because we certainly, our brains are very much aligned. And then she brings you into it and I'm going, wow, there's two of them who understand this. <laughs> you know, I, I think for me, I think because of my claims background, having handled these claims, sure. I, you know, I, I can definitely see the benefit because I see, you know, I've seen the results of all of this. And the other thing is that we like, you know, we really want to keep our people out of lawsuits. Sure. Uh, I don't know if people really think that through. I had a claim with a police officer, and this was an angle that nobody really thinks about. I get a call from him, all upset, because he and his wife were in the process of buying a house when this claim came down. And when the mortgage company found out he was being sued, they wouldn't approve the mortgage. Oh, no. I went so far as to write a letter on the company letterhead advising the mortgage company that <clears throat> this was a kind of a routine claim. We didn't see that it was really that serious. There was plenty of um, insurance available. He wasn't going to have to pay any loss or any defense costs, et cetera, et cetera. Didn't matter. Really? No. <clears throat> Even with qualified immunity? Yeah. Wow. Insurance companies don't care about, I mean, mortgage companies, banking, you can't, you're not going to be able to buy a car. You're not going to be able to buy a house. I never even thought an apartment. about that. Um, and I can't speak. I'm speaking generally. Yeah, I'm sure. And I'm only speaking from that one instance. Sure. But these know. are factors. And like you said, <clears throat> you're seeing a whole different side to it. But... Yeah, that hadn't even occurred to me. Yeah. And yet we're still teaching officers keep personal and professional separate. Well, that's great. Mortgage companies don't. <laughs> I was actually doing a presentation with um, uh, some stuff with the police in uh, one of our towns. And their, their police chief, I was I talked about this. And the police chief, he said, he, he said, yeah, he says, there's only about maybe one month a year I can actually apply for a loan because police chiefs tend to get sued all sure. the time. But, that, but you know, and th those are other types of consequences from Absolutely. claims that, I mean, nobody really stops to think about. And Absolutely. So, um, you know. Well, and I guarantee you the <clears throat> wife was sitting there going, what do you mean? Oh. We can't get a mortgage because of your job. What? Not only that, they sue the wife. <gasps> no. Always. Almost always. Yes, because... If, the, if there's independent negligence, they're going to go after their house. They're, they're going to go after, you know, the, you know. Now, mostly it's, a, I think it's, 
primarily scare tactics. Sure. When, that, when that comes in, the first thing we do is we get that cleaned up and get the dismissed. Yeah, because the cop doesn't stuff. have anything. The wife doesn't have. It's your cities. It's your counties. It's those are the deeper pockets. But for the plaintiff attorney to start off by suing the city, the officer, his spouse, it just creates so chaos. much chaos. And now this officer has to still keep doing his job, and he's got this this pressure and stress, as you as you describe. Garbage can. He's yep. got a big load now to put into that garbage can, if, whether he has room for it or not. Sure. And, yeah. you know, when he's coming home and I mean, as a wife of a retired Tempe officer, did that ever even enter your mind? I wouldn't have even fathomed that. It's, you know, I remember having been married to a Fed. I do remember that a lot of things had to be put in my name only. Um, certainly not a mortgage, but other things. But it never even occurred to me that somebody would even, and I was a litigation paralegal 15 years. That never even registered with me that that would be something. And even though I would know they're not going to get anything, it's still the hoops and the fear because there's always exceptions to everything. Somehow I would wind up being that one exception that they take everything we had. And so that's, you know, that's something in the spouses class we teach that we need to have you guys coming in and talking about it to give some level of peace of mind that even if it does happen, be aware it can, because we know PTSD is coming from people's worldviews being violated because we're not preparing them ahead of time. And so this is something we need to add into the training that we do that includes a spouse or significant other. And for the audience, don't ever come to one of mine and bring both because I've had somebody show up with a spouse and a girlfriend, not a good plan. Uh, I don't think Ed and those are going to insure that. (laughs) (laughs) Your life insurance probably won't pay either. Um, But it's something we do need to educate people about so that if it happens, they don't completely freak. And then it causes dissension at home and marital issues and children included. And I I can see that going down a bad road in a hurry. And and the other thing is that I think having a work good working relationship with the police departments is really important. Yes. Now, when I first started working with the um, other pool, um, I had to work hard to kind of break into that. Yes. You know, because there tends to be a little bit of uh, you know kind of they're a little cynical, and they kind of you know, and I had to make efforts. I think I'm hoping that here, because the we are working so closely with them through ACOP and through providing service, I think that we have actually. I think the police now understand that we are on their side and, and we're part you know, of, of their team. And I think that that really, um, hopefully. That's hard, though, too, as uh, a cop, to, to also grasp that, are you really on my side? Right. Well, it's here, hard to trust in a lot of these situations. Well, here's here's the, the elephant in the room on that situation. Um, oftentimes, the police officers are going to want to claim denied mm-hmm. and not, not be paid. And you understand that. But sometimes... That there's some legalities that, that isn't, it's not as, as clear cut always as, as it appears. So there's always the accusation. You're just, you're settling the claim to save money and you're not taking into account, you know, which is not, at least with the insurance pool, that's not really the case. Sure. Um, but um, the, those are conflicts that you see out there. And um, they don't understand that sometimes it's cheaper to pay it mm-hmm. than the law. You know, you don't pay $500,000 
for something that you wind up paying $50,000 for. That just doesn't even make sense. Well, sometimes you end up in a situation where someone basically drops the claim, but they've spent a couple thousand dollars on defense costs and they want to get back. It's that type of a thing. The advantage to getting rid of a claim is that you, now you're not being sued. Now you can go back to your normal life. You know? Sure. Um, but those are types of things that we run into um, issues with. Are um, those things that if an officer is sued civilly and it goes away, that isn't anything that people can, like, if they apply for a mortgage six months no, afterwards, it's no. not something that's going to come back no, and show that you've got <clears throat> six claims in the past that even though they didn't succeed. Yeah, I don't know for sure. I mean, they could ask if you've ever been sued or something. But if it's as, if it was just a nothing, I don't know. Sure. Yeah, but that was the part of it that really, and then I, because I remember thinking at the time, without even understanding everything we're talking about today, I, I thought about that police officer and I thought, if I had this claim, that's upsetting enough. Now I can't get my mortgage. I'm going to lose this house. And I am probably, I'm just putting myself in his position. Sure. I'm mad. Absolutely. And now I'm going on the out into the. Um, I'm going to give somebody a reason to sue me. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of, <laughs> you can see how that. Could sure. Certainly, well, certainly and I think that's the other problem is people <clears throat> forget. Police officers are human beings. They have issues at home. They have issues at work. They have issues with parents and children and all of those things. They have physical issues going on with them. But somehow we expect them to not have any sleep and not feel good and have garbage in their garbage can from everything else going on. But they're supposed to go out here and be a kinder, gentler police officer. And, and there's other things I think that we can help with our training with the police. Like if a claim comes in, and this is something, be upfront with us and honest with us. That doesn't always, uh, hasn't always been the case. And I can give you a couple of examples. We had a claim where we inter interviewed all the police officers, everything. Everybody had the same story. We were defending it. Mm -hmm. um, I get a call from our attorney who's in the middle of a deposition. She stopped the deposition uh -oh. and says, we have a crisis on our hands here. This police officer broke with a different story. I can no longer represent him. And the, other, and the city or the town, we're going to have to, the other side just sits back and loves it. They oh, just yeah. take notes. Oh, they've, yes. they're, they're, they've cooked up a story. It's not, you know, and, and then it comes back to us. It's like, now what do you expect us to do? How can we defend sure. this? I haven't had one situation that came up where they had spoken to an attorney. Then we told them, don't be speaking to attorneys. Right. They spoke to the other attorney. They wouldn't speak to us. They had it to, totally backwards. Yeah, I, I, they wouldn't talk to me, but they had already spilled their guts to the plaintiff attorney. It was just a total confusion on the whole process, you know. So these are the types of things that um, happen that makes can make this all just a whole lot worse. Well, here's my question. So if you're working with an officer, let's say here in Arizona, who is a member, let's say he gets in a shooting or any critical incident where there's excessive use of force or it could be a lawsuit. Um, and he's probably going to be investigated internally. And he goes through his union or association, FOP, AZ cops, whatever. They provide legal representation. Do y'all not come in until the criminal side is resolved and only if there's a civil matter attached to it? No, 
there's a claim filed against the police officer, we get involved right out of the gate. So whose attorney, though, the the union or association attorney is going to be in there representing the officer from a criminal standpoint and maybe internal affairs, too. Um, do the two attorneys work together on yeah, this then? Okay. Because I know that's going to be questions and things that we're going to be asked coming in to, especially if you pick up, um, you know, officers in agencies that now they've realized they can join an organization like AZ Cops. You don't have to have an in-house like Tempe has and Chandler and these others. You can join FOP or you can join AZ Cops. And so I'm sure those are things that are going to come into play at some point also. Interesting. Yeah, most definitely. Well, in some of these situations where officers have been in become adversarial, you know, they do their job, they commit their life to these departments, and then sometimes either the department turns on them or they have had situations where they filed claims and now they're the enemy. Yes. So I know that yeah. this is going to be yeah. I mean, refreshing to know that there's actually a resource out there that's and how it's not works. against them and yeah, there to support. Because none of that helps anybody. Right. It, do, it doesn't help the officer. It doesn't help the person who's making the claim. It doesn't help the, anything. No. And, and again, it, you know, and I get where they're coming from because I've witnessed it over 30 years where it, they do feel like it's us against them and then it's me against everybody. And it's just interesting to me. First of all, I could smack myself for going, gosh, why have I been spending all this time trying to come in through agencies that check boxes with EAP and those kinds of things and say we provide this stuff when the reality is, is this this risk management side of the house that really is going to be the group that will understand. And I'm, I, you know, I'm just so thankful that y'all kept pursuing and Sherry kept calling and, you know, to be able to say finally in 30 years, uh, this is the first organization that is actually providing what we've been trying to do around this country. And y'all are to be commended. And this needs to be national news, to be honest with you. Uh, I know a lot of the, the large agencies, of course, are self-insured, and that's fine. They Their risk managers can either get on board or not. But the majority of the law enforcement agencies in this country are small departments. They're yes. not the size of Phoenix and Mesa and Chandler and those they're small agencies. That makes up the majority of it. And a lot of the fire departments, and I know a lot of them that you represent, um, are volunteer fire departments. Exactly. And so the same thing there. They don't, they don't have the ability to be self-insured. And so, you know, we are just really excited when I got the text from Sherry yesterday that the board had, and you said it was a it wasn't even a hard sell. <laughs> Again, I think that's the beauty of this pool. Yes. Um, Every one of those people on the board has uh, police departments, and they understand the benefit of it. And that's that's where I think um, the advantage to the pool is, is so much proactive resources that are available sure. uh, to members that you wouldn't necessarily have if you have a regular insurance company. You don't hear from them until you have a claim. Right. <laughs> for the most part, I, right. I think. Because you know. uh, I've worked on that side, too. And, sure. And, um, yeah. But, yeah, uh, you know, it's funny. I woke huh. up about 2 o'clock this morning and was like, oh, my gosh. We've just picked up 3,000 police and fire. <laughs> and I'm going, okay, we can do this because we've actually been doing a lot of it 
for free anyway. Um, but, you know, we've got another stress coach certification happening next week. And we've got them coming in from all over the country that are also going to be resources even for the police and fire here because, again, the services can be provided now in person if they're willing to come here. Or now everything is probably the only positive thing from COVID is there's so much acceptance of doing it via your computer. Yes. A lot of police officers um, prefer to start out on the phone because of that fear. And, you know, to be able to have a group like this that gets it and says, we don't want to know who is coming to you. Yeah, we'd like to know numbers. That's That just makes sense because it's a pretty large contract. And, you know, and then for part of the contract also to be, uh, the trainings that we're going to be doing in five different regions of the of the state, um, which in turn is going to educate families and supervisors. So we're kind of attacking this thing from every angle. I am especially excited about the family part. Yes. And again, this goes back to my previous life, and this is not really quite the same thing. But when I would handle workers' comp claims, for example, mm -hmm. I had a you know I've had people with really serious injuries. And sure. back in those days when I was doing claims, we used to actually go out and visit people, you know, mm -hmm. not over the desk like they do today. And I can tell you firsthand, I saw families disintegrate yes, uh, because of, um, even yes. though we would be providing therapy and stuff like that, you know, um, the home life with somebody all of a sudden is a quadriplegic or yes. something is uh, um, so stressful stressful and and has such a negative impact on the recovery uh, even just physically and mentally of a workers routine work comp claim right i can only presume that when you have officers who have these types of stresses all the time and they're going home and they're not talking about it right. uh, i probably not inclined to naturally and probably actually probably and taught not to taught not to yeah, yeah, they are taught not to and as to <clears throat> an ex-wife here and a current wife of a retired officer, they bring it home in their mood, which can trigger issues. Mm -hmm. If they're not telling you, you assume you did something. And, it, you know, and I, I think, us, like I said, this is what's so exciting is y'all get the full picture. This isn't just about, okay, Susan, we want you to make sure our claims are lowered. This is about making sure our first responders are healthier. And that means families have to be healthier. They all have to be educated, and and it, it's just the most refreshing thing I think we've ever had happen at Under the Shield. I think we're still a little in shock. I think we are, too. Because <laughs> I think I, even Susan says, like, oh, yeah, I've heard this before. I keep yeah, going. Like, <laughs> okay. Is this really happening? When is, when is somebody going to pop out of the closet and go, gotcha? <laughs> well, one of the things about Sherry, and, and this is kind of, um, she's a doer. and I'm yeah, she a, is. And, I, and I'm a doer. And... Um, you know, she came to us about maybe seven or so years ago. And I remember I, I had a, a policy form I was trying to get approved and people were just dragging their feet and everything. I'll never forget. She came over and she says, is there anything that you've got going that you need to get resolved? And I said, well, I got to get this cyber policy moving. She says, put it on the agenda for the next board meeting next month. And I thought, oh, there's a new <laughs> sheriff in town here. I, I can deal with this. I am. We joke about it because, you know, we, we'll sit down and we'll talk and we'll be, 
we can go from topic to topic from here and back, and we just follow each other. We're just a great team, and and, uh, and we're doers. You know? Absolutely. As you can see, we don't Absolutely. we don't let the, we move. <laughs> yeah, I was telling somebody yesterday, actually, Chris Ferrar's parents um, about this, and I just had breakfast with them on Saturday, and was telling them about what was in the works, you know, and and again based on history, I was like, you know, yeah, it went if and when this happens, you know. And when I sent him the text yesterday, I think Linda's response was, wow, that was fast. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, that's what makes this even better. <laughs> and it's just, like I said, I, I, I want the organization to get the credit for being so progressive. Because the one thing we do know is that you are the only ones in the country doing this. Because we are the only stress coaches specific to first responder military and their families, um, because we've trademarked it and locked it in. And there may be stress coaches for other groups of people, but not for our first responders. And we've been pushing this three-tiered approach of peer support, stress coaches, and licensed mental health, um, because something has been missing. And as I'm sure claims were going up everywhere, uh, there's got to be a reason for that. And checking boxes with EAPs, that the frustrating part even about the EAPs, I had a client in the other day, that they had to make seven or eight phone calls down the EAP list. And so many of them were telling them, because the list hadn't been updated, that they no longer do EAP. And then you'd find somebody that does and they go, oh, I'm not taking new patients. And then you'd find somebody who says, oh, yeah, I can see you three, three months from next Wednesday. And, and this know, is happening when someone's in crisis. Yes. Exactly. And I said, you know, and at Under the Shield, we do our best to get back to them within an hour, whether it's an email, a text, phone call, Facebook message, whatever. And, and it can be at two in the morning or on a Sunday. Absolutely. <laughs> as we have done. And so to have an organization like yours that says we're putting this in front of the board and this is going to happen and have it voted on and everything pretty much ready. Now we just got to figure out how to roll it out and when and and what it's going to look like um, in less than two weeks, that's just unheard of. Well, for sure, and I, to us, this was the missing link. And we had the sense of it, but we didn't know how to fill that gap. Mm -hmm. And we're, we're fine on the, the reactive stuff. You know, sure. We, we know we can help, you know, once you've had a claim, here's what we need to do. And we've got people that can help with that. And that's all fine. And that's sure. important. But this was the missing link. Yes. And uh, we we. Like I said, for a couple of years, we've talked about this and talked mm -hmm. about this, and we went down the PTSD. We, you know, and the same with the PTSD. You know, so, okay, so someone has a problem, and they're going to get an hour, or they're going to, or fifty-five minutes, yeah. or whatever the session is. Yep. And you know, once you once that ends, it's done till next week or whatever. And sure. um, that wasn't what we were what we were looking for. No, and well, that... So when we heard you, we were just we had the exact same reaction. It was like. Oh, she gets it. <laughs> and she's been trying to get this point out for 30 years. Yeah, no, you're not going to get 50 minutes in here. And I laugh at, at the guys that come in. Because <clears throat> typically a session for us is going to be three to five hours first time. And and I get so tickled because they'll walk in, they'll go, Susan, I am not going to be here four hours. Okay. And they're here six. <laughs> and they're like, well, dang it. Yesterday we started the, the presentation and I started it off. And I said, uh, I said, you know what? Sherry asked me to come. I said, I met with Susan and I said, 
you just can't help but like her. I said, there's just something about her. She draws you in. And Sherry says, yeah, Ed was stretched out on there, his couch <laughs> by the does. end of the session. And I said, yeah, I would totally sign up for this. I said. <laughs> Until I pick up my red man stick and beat you. But it's that Southern hospitality. <laughs> that's what it is. So that's how, that's how we started off our presentation to the board. But it is funny. Our Ours was like four hours and you didn't even realize that it had been four hours. She no. was so easy to to talk to and just but that's what it should be it it shouldn't be someone somewhat elevated above you as with their notepad yeah so how do you feel right and thank (laughs) you for sharing that with me well i had to share it with you because you didn't know you don't understand this stuff and it's just about people that understand the industry i said when you've got a, a a licensed person and an officer mentions a 998 and the and the counselor goes, I don't know what that is. If if you're in mental health, please hear me. Working with law enforcement, you better know what nine nine eight nine 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 are. Th- those two should go. Oh, we've we've got a major event here going on. Um, but when you don't even understand that, you don't have to know all the ten codes and everything. But you need to know those two. So educate yourselves. Get out there. Well, this is you know this is across the board, um, even like with a city or town attorneys or, mm-hmm. or defense attorneys, not everybody specializes in everything. Right. You know? And that's why we have programs available. For example, land use. You know, you may have a great town attorney, but they may not know anything about land use or they may not know anything about personnel. You know, so sure. it's, and it's the same with therapists. You yes. know, you know, you're, you're going to send your police officer to an EAP person who's that's one appointment out of six they're going to have that day that they may or may not have any particular right they could have training. attorneys accountants yeah. garbage yeah. men secretaries what <clears throat> bank tellers whatever and and that's all fine but when you deal with specialized groups like police and fire and paramedics and EMTs yeah. you better have a little understanding in it and so we just can't even begin to say thank you enough to you and Sherry for pursuing us. Like I said, I have no idea where those voice messages went, but apparently we were supposed to meet. And again, I don't believe in coincidences. Well, God's timing is a little... Yeah, I know. Sometimes he frustrates me with that and I keep going. This is like 30 years. Yeah, really. I told somebody the other day, I said, if this happens and I die, please make sure y'all talked about... She was so close. So close. Well, Well, we thank you because we believe this is our... This is the missing link that we were trying to fill. Well, we are just thrilled to be um, coming on board and working with you guys. We're going to consider you obviously a huge part of Under the Shield and the doors that you are opening and the things that you're doing because you really do. It isn't just about the money. Y'all really do care about your people. And you understand the value of police and fire and our first responders. You know, I, I think our philosophy is kind of, we don't even really think about the money because if you do the right thing, that takes care of itself. Yes. You know, it's not something that we, you know, it's really about the people. You know, when I, when I, I could feel that officer's pain when he couldn't get that mortgage. Sure. I, I could feel the pain of the parents when I have to go, when I used to have to go and settle up a claim with their dead kid. Sure. Uh, you know, I, I really have, you know, can really relate to the the, um, the consequences of, of all of this. Sure. You know? And uh, sounds like Ed's garbage can might be full. He yeah. might need to spend four hours on my couch. Oh, I'm I'm ready. <laughs> I told him. I said I said I'll sign up. <laughs> and, and I'm looking forward to meeting this board. I hope there will be an opportunity to 
at least go in and say thank you That's for true. believing in us and what we've been trying to do and what we're going to do. And we are going to, I'm telling you, this next year um, with this contract, we are going to make the rounds around this state. And you educated me about the the flights that go all the way up to Page, page. so I don't have to drive that distance. And it it's, like I said, there's just going to, I see so much good stuff coming from this. I, I, I do want to give the AMRP board credit. They yes. are so supportive of yes. us. I don't think we've, they've ever turned us down for anything. And I think that they their willingness to take some of that surplus and spend it on these type of proactive programs, I think they, they get kudos for that. Because, they do. Uh, it's, I would have brought uh, my party hat and streamer if I had known. <laughs> yeah. I'm so sorry. <laughs> well, and I want them to well, get well, national yes, attention yes. for that would this. Be, that would be terrific. Because, again, this is the first time in anywhere in this country that this has been done and it's and it can be difficult to come in through a chief or sheriff or whatever because again all they see is we have these boxes checked why do we need to pay for something else they don't necessarily understand the benefits or lack thereof sometimes because they have so many other things they're dealing with i laugh all the time and say chiefs and sheriffs don't know what they don't know and so sometimes it takes this side of the house coming in. And again, shame on me for not even thinking of this sooner. But it takes someone that is providing stuff to them to go, hey, we've we've got a new angle now we'd like to add into this. This is not a cost. Like you're saying, it's an investment. Yes. Oh. And it is going to pay off. Yes. In retention, in attitudes, in, in all of it. There, there's just so many. We've seen the benefits. We had actually had somebody on the podcast uh, months ago that has known me since I've been out here. And he made the comment. He said, you know, Susan, the agencies, the associations or unions you have contracted with, he goes, do you even realize they haven't had a suicide since you started working with them? Well, it hadn't even occurred to me. I don't know that any have had real serious excessive use of force claims and stuff. I'm sure there's minor stuff that goes on just in conducting business, but that spoke volumes. And again, it's not just me. It, it, I'm not a one man operation. I've got stress coaches all over the place that, and we're fixing to have more that we're excited about who are really going to get involved now. And so, you know, there's just a lot of ways this is going to come together. And I really want the AMRP to get the credit for being progressive and open-minded to doing something that there's no other group they can call and go, so how does your program work? Mm -hmm. And this is why we're, I'm really looking forward to all of us sitting down and putting the timeline together of rolling this out in the most effective way. And I've already told my German shepherd, look out, mom's going to be gone, going to be traveling around the state. I got places to go and people to see. <laughs> so I guess here it is. 2022 is the year to do. Yes. Right. That's very good. <laughs> yes. Exactly right. Yes. 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 And Ed, I hope that we can get you back on the podcast again, because I think we need some updates. We'll get Sherry in here also next time. And um, I just want you to know how very, very much I appreciate everything that you and Sherry did to make this happen. We thank the board. We look forward to meeting them. And I just see great things coming in the future for all of us. Well, thank you. And we are so excited. Uh, this has been like our dream come true for, 
that, I guess, at that missing link that you've yeah. been searching for. Well, and, and we uh, will certainly hmm. update our audience and stuff. And yes. again, for all of you out there, if you need assistance in any kind, I don't care if you're the spouse of law enforcement or first responders uh, or the first responders themselves, please reach out to us and call us at 855-889-2348. My cell number is 334-324-3570. Tracy's one of our stress coaches for spouses. Um, you want to give your cell number and just sure. call you? <laughs> Spout the 101. Yeah, um, 480-518-3775. And you can uh, find us on Facebook. You can private message the page. The stress coaches are always monitoring that as well. Uh, but reach out to us. Just know that we appreciate you. We appreciate all the sacrifices that you make. We certainly, Tracy and I certainly understand the sacrifices that the families make in this crazy lifestyle that so many people are involved in, and we are thankful for you. Uh, Ed, again, thank you. Thank you to the AMRRP. Those are going to be my new favorite initials now and letters. <laughs> and uh, God bless all of you. God bless your families and this great nation that we live in. And we hope you'll come back and visit us again at Under the Shield Presents Fight in Progress.